Over the next few weeks, we just kind of want to look at the story of Scripture, and we want to say, Jesus, would you give us new eyes for this? Would you give us a renewed joy over the good news that has been delivered to us? Will you remind us of the breakthrough that has happened because of your son? Will you give us remembrance of the stories and the faithfulness that you've delivered in our life throughout all the years and the decades and the ways that you've taken care of us and our family and the people around us? Will you make us grateful for the gifts that we have and the things that we possess? But most of all, will you turn our attention back to your son and will you allow us to just worship him? As the team was praying this morning, there was a lot of uh, sensing of God just calling us back to worship. Just in this Christmas season, what if Jesus is just calling us back to sit at his, in his presence and just say, you're here and it's good. You're with us and I'm grateful. You're around and you're moving and you're, you're doing things around us and I'm, I'm glad that that's happening. And so the essential Good news of Christmas is Emmanuel, God with us. But even with that, we get to discover who is this God that's with us and how is he with us and how is he moving and how is he acting and and, and who is he in the midst of all of those things. So I want to just open this series by inviting all of you to ask God to give you new eyes for Christmas. Because maybe you're like me, you're covered in mud out in the front yard wondering why am I doing this? And Jesus wants to remind you there is good news in the midst of this and wants to bring our hearts and our attention and our affection and our minds and our mindfulness and our presence back to him. See, the issue is never that God isn't present. The issue is that we're not aware of his presence. He's always here. He's always with us. He's always moving. He's always active. And the journey of a Christian, the journey of a follower of Jesus, we call it discipleship, is learning to be aware of his presence. It's learning to know how he's with us, when he's with us, when he's prompting me to move, when he's acting on my behalf, when he's stirring my heart towards generosity or love or kindness or affection or, or, or grace or, or, or any of the fruits of the spirit. It's just being aware that he's with us, that he's moving, that he's active. And so could we just start this series? And I, I, I know we do this at the end, but could we just hold out our hands and could we just really quietly, simply, I just want to give like one minute of silence in the room For us just to simply say, Jesus, will you remind me that you're with me? Jesus, will you give me new eyes to see you this season? Jesus, will you renew my heart to worship you? Holy Spirit, will you reveal your goodness again? God, will you come in power and remind me of your love? Jesus, will you bring me back to your heart for those around me? Give us new eyes, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to to a city in Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And Gabriel came to her and he said this. Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. And I think it's important for us to pay attention to what heaven says to us in the Christmas story. 
Here, here is the first announcement of heaven. This is the first declaration of what God is about to do. It's the first moment that he's breaking through and heaven is coming to earth. Here's the announcement. Greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Favored one. In, in the Old Testament, women were not favored. The only one who was favored was the eldest son. The eldest son was the one who would take all the wealth of the family, all the inheritance of the family. The eldest son is the one who would take over the family's business. The eldest son was the one who would run all of the, uh, of the work that the father was doing and would take charge of all of his other brothers and sisters. So if you had a terrible older brother, you would be in trouble, right? If your older brother was an idiot and could not run the family business, you were all in trouble because that older brother was running things from that point on. The oldest son was the only one who was favored. And here heaven comes down to earth to a teenage girl and says, you are favored. You're, you're the favored one. All throughout the Psalms, there's these cries of the people of God that are saying, would you turn your eyes to us? Would you see us? Would you look upon your people with grace? Would you notice us? It's almost like there is this cry for us to be seen by our creator in the same way that a child cries for its mother. There's this desire to be loved. There's this desire to be seen. There's this desire to be favored. And over and over again, the Psalms cry out. The people of God in Egypt, when they were slaves, when everything was going wrong, they said, God, would you hear the cries of your people? Would you see us? Would you notice us? Would you move? Would you act? But in the Old Testament, there was this belief that God only acted for the favored, he only moved if you were favored. But here's the good news of Christmas. God sees us. He knows us. He notices. There, there's so many times when I, as a pastor, am praying for somebody. Somebody will ask me, like, Pastor, can you give me a word? Pastor, can you pray for me? Pastor, can you just spend some time with me? And, and I'll, I'll, I'll just pray, and I'll just say, all right, I'm, I'm trying to listen with both ears, right? I'm saying, Jesus, what is it that you want to say to this person? What, how, what are you want to declare over this person. And, and the, the thing that I hear the most from God is tell them that I see them. It's some form of that, right? It's not always the same thing, but it's some kind of form of I, tell them I see them. Tell them I notice them. Tell them I know, I understand. Tell them I'm hurting with them. Tell them I know what it feels like to go through this. Tell them I'm with them. Tell them I'm close. Tell them I haven't forgotten them. Tell them I'm there in the midst of them. I'm with them and I see them. There isn't just simply an announcement that God is coming. There isn't just simply an announcement that you're pregnant and a baby is coming. There is an announcement that begins just like the beginning in creation that starts with, it is good and you are favored. And that's incredibly good news. And not only does he say you are favored, but he says the Lord is what? Is with you. In the Old Testament, where was the Lord's presence? It was in the temple. It wasn't with us. 
It wasn't interacting with us. It wasn't in our day-to-day. We had to get all gussied up and ready. We had to travel all the way to Jerusalem. We had to bring the lambs. We had to sacrifice. We had to do all of these things. And then we could experience God's presence. And the only one who could go to the holiest of places, to the deepest places of God's presence, were the priests and the Levites. They were the only ones who could go into the holies of holies. They're the only ones who could enter into the presence of God. And here, God is declaring to Mary, a teenage girl in Nazareth. Scripture says later, what good could ever come out of Nazareth? Right? Pick a county in Georgia that is way off in the distance. This is it. I'm not even going to name some of them because I'll get emails if I name a specific county. I know how much you love your counties, Georgia people. I just want to know what city you're from. I don't know your counties. I've lived here for six years. I still have no idea where that county is. I think only people that live... When you're in elementary school in Georgia, do they just give you all the... Like, do you only study the counties? Is that how it works? Like, here are the 75 counties in Georgia, and you memorize all of them. We don't care if you know any of the states that border us, but you better know every county really well. So every time I ask for directions anywhere, someone tells me a county, and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. Could you give me a highway? Like in other places, they tell you streets. Um, Sorry. The Lord is with us. That's what I was saying. God is not distant. He's not in some far off place. He's right here with us. And he's saying to Mary in the middle of Nazareth, in the middle of this place that's in the middle of nowhere, I am here and you are favored and I am with you. Verse 29, but she grew greatly troubled at this, tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be, right? This is not like, this is not only like an angel just showed up, but this is like a theological framework that is completely flipped. Right? Can you imagine the, the, the fear and the worry on this of like, okay, there's a real angel. I think I just saw a real angel, but this real angel just told me a bunch of new things that revolutionized my faith in completely new ways that I never thought were true. Can you imagine like going through life and having faith but not actually believing that you serve a God who has favored you and who is with you? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call him Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. That is a, that's quite an announcement for Mary. That's a lot of news to take in. That's a lot to hold on to. And so Mary receives this news, and there's automatically complications with this. The virgin birth thing makes things complicated for her, right? It makes things complicated for her with Joseph, who's like, what, now who's, what's going on with the baby here? I, I don't think I did that, right? And then there's complications with the community, right? Because she lives in a community where that is a mortal sin, right? It's not just a sin. It's a sin that gets you disqualified, kicked out, sent away, run off, all of those things. And so she goes to Elizabeth. She goes to her cousin's house, which is what we do when we're in trouble. We go find a cousin, right? And so she goes and finds her cousin, who's also pregnant. She travels there, and as she travels, she shows up. As she shows up, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps when Mary's there, uh, and there's this connection between the babies, which we see later in the story. There's this beautiful, beautiful moment of reconnection, and then Mary begins to just reflect and take time. 
I'm guessing she's nesting in that time, right? I'm guessing she's thinking about what's our future life going to look like? Where are we going to live? I'm sure she's stressed. I'm sure she's anxious. There's this huge responsibility that's been placed on her. There's this giant weight. And it wouldn't be out of the ordinary for her to say, God, like, I don't want this. Like, this is too much. I'm just a teenage girl from Nazareth. Like, I'm not qualified for this. I'm not ready for this. I'm not open for this. This is too much weight and too much responsibility, and it's too hard, and it's too difficult. It would be natural for her to experience all of those things, but what she does when she's in Elizabeth's home is she writes the most beautiful worship song. It feels like her heart and her attention and her affection was for God, her father, and not for the weight of the world. And I wonder how often we are weighted down by the weight of the world. All the things that are going on, everything that's in the news cycle, we got a runoff election, we got family members to deal with, we got sickness, we've got job issues, we've got money issues, we've got all of these things that we have to carry. And the weight of that allows us to miss the good news that's been delivered to us. But Mary doesn't miss it. Luke chapter 1, verse 46, Mary begins her song. It's called The Magnificent. It's one of the greatest songs that's ever been written, and she simply says this, my soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Here's the first piece of good news that I want us to be reminded of this morning is that God sees us where we are, and he still chooses to come. He looks on the humble state of his servant. He looked on him and knows. And, 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 and sometimes we believe that in order for God to move, in order for God to work, there has to be something big that happens. I have to do something big to generate the presence of God. I've got to give in a, in a way that's sacrificial. I've got to serve in a way that's magnificent. I've got to get God's attention in some way to make him show up in my life. And here's what Mary says, you've seen the humble state of your servant, and still you come. Think about folks in the Old Testament, they had to travel to, to make sacrifices, travel all the way to Jerusalem. So if you actually wanted to be in the presence of God, once a year you had to travel. That travel was not like I call Delta, I book it on my phone, I've got the app, I've got my flight miles, all of those things. You walk outside with a bunch of your stuff that you're going to carry with you for a month, and you go. That is terrible, right? I am so grateful for flight and cars and technology and all of those kinds of things. There's this travel for day. Then you have to get there. You have to pay for a perfect animal without blemish. You got to find. You either got to Bring it out of your own stuff, like you, you, you find out of your own flock, you know, some kind of perfect animal to sacrifice. You've got to purchase that at the temple. Then you've got to go into the temple. And Mary says, listen, no, 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 no. He moves even when we're not perfect. He's working even when we don't travel to Jerusalem. Like how much, how good news is that, guys? That he's moving and that he's working regardless of what we're doing. That he's showing up even when we're not holy and great. 
even when we're not sacrificing, even when we're not giving generously, even when we're living in brokenness and sin, no matter where you were Friday night, no matter what happened to you in your marriage, no matter what happened to you in your past, no matter what abuse was done to you or abuse you did to someone else, he is still moving. He is still moving towards us over and over again. He sees you exactly where you are and he still chooses to come. And no one else in the world does that for us. There is no other love like that. We try and say that we love each other unconditionally. But the truth is, there's a condition. It may be deep down there, and you may have to dig for it for a little while, but there are conditions. With God, there is no condition. Mary goes on and says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Here's the second thing that I want us to pay attention to and to notice, is that God's intention is to bless us. I know that some of you may have grown up in a culture where that was not what you were told. I know for some of you, I grew up in the most fundamentalist Christian high school where I thought God's intention was to catch me, right? That he was waiting for me to misbehave, and the moment that I did, like lightning from heaven, there was punishment coming, there was the wrath of God all over me. I want us to rewind all the way back to the very beginning of Scripture, right? The very beginning of scripture, God creates and it's good. He makes man, he makes woman, and he says it's good. And in the garden, what does he do? He blesses, he spends time with us, he provides, and he gives us abundance. This was God's plan. And we've hijacked that. And we've said to God, I don't want that plan. I don't want your presence, I don't want your abundance, I don't want your provision, I don't want your protection, I don't want your your presence, I don't want your protection, I don't want your your presence, I don't want any of those things, I would rather do this on on my own. And God gives us a way to that. He allows us to have free will. He allows us to choose our own path, even in that path is away from him. But the invitation still stands that God is inviting every single person within the sound of my voice back into his presence and back into his blessing. There is a clear invitation that every single one of us is invited back to the garden. And that God wants to walk with you in the cool of the evening. He wants to know you as you are known and he wants you to know him as he is known. And he's inviting all of us back into his presence. God's intention, the good news of Christmas, the wonder of this season is that God left heaven to come to earth to bless us. And he did it with the intention of sacrificing himself all along. Verse 51, it says, he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their heart. That's just kind of scary but he's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of a humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things, but the rich he sent away empty. The third thing that I want us to understand, and this is deeply important for Christmas, this is deeply important for us to understand with the good news, is that God brings good news to all people. 
what Mary says here. Listen, guys, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in their inmost hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones. He's exalted those of a humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. Who reads that and thinks that's good news? Is it the people on top? Is it the people with the corner office? Is the people with the big house down there on Roswell Road? It's the poor. It's the broken. It's the marginalized. It's the unseen. It's the humble. It's the people who wonder where the next meal is going to come from. It's the people who are hoping that anybody would see them and notice them. It's the people who are on their last chance. The good news comes not just for the people on top. It comes for all of us. This is deeply political. This had enormous political ramifications at the time. This meant things for Rome. It meant things for the powers that were in control. It meant things for the leaders of the government. It meant that God didn't just come for the wealthy and the chosen and the important, but he came for the poor and he came for the widows and he came for the marginalized and he came for the broken and he came for the hurting and he came for the people who thought there was no hope left. That's who he came for. And he says, Mary, I see you. Nazareth, I know you. I'm not just here for the people on top. I came for everybody. And sometimes, man, we just, we lose this posture. Sometimes I forget, guys, that I carry the gospel with me every day. That the greatest story that's ever been told, the good news, the greatest news that's ever been declared for this entire earth, I know it intimately, and I forget to tell it. I forget to say to the waitress, there's good news. I forget to proclaim the gospel and say, there's hope for you. I forget to say to my neighbor, there's good news that has come for all people. And we miss the glory and the moment and the opportunity. We miss the fact that the kingdom of God has flipped everything upside down. The societal norms are broken. That God didn't just come for the wealthy and the privileged and the favored. That he came for all people. Over and over again, we're going to see in the Christmas story, the good news is that Jesus came for the poor. And Jesus came for the broken. And Jesus came for the outsiders. And Jesus came for the hurting. And if we are called to be his ambassadors here on earth, then are we going for the same people? Or are we just attracting more people with big houses down on Roswell Road? Verse 54. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, and he has spoken to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Here's the last point. God has never stopped pursuing us. He has never stopped pursuing us. God has never stopped pursuing you. Everybody look at me for a second. All eyes on me. God has never stopped pursuing you. Not for a moment, not for a second did he give up on you. 
Not in that moment that was the worst moment of your life. Not in that moment where you turned your back on him. Not in that moment when you abandoned your principles and ran away. Not in that moment which was your worst moment in humanity. Not for a second has he abandoned you. He has continued to pursue you. He will continue to pursue you until the day that you die. And he will continue to invite you back to the garden and say, my intention is to bless you. My intention is to know you. My intention is to save you. My intention is to love you. And the question for us is will we receive that invitation because he's not stopped and he won't ever stop he hasn't stopped he hasn't given up on humanity right I might have by now right if I watch a little bit too much of the news I might be just like I'm done that's enough I don't need to hear any more of this nonsense right if I pay attention to some of those things I might just give up and God said no I'm I'm gonna keep pursuing I'm gonna keep inviting I'm going to keep going after my people. And so I wonder if in the middle of all of the mess of Christmas, the mud that I sat in yesterday, (laughs) if there's just an invitation to say, would you just sit in my presence again? Can I just remind you how good this news is? Can I just remind you how great I am and how I'm working? We're getting ready to do baptisms. We've got some kids that are going to get baptized. I love it when kids get baptized by their moms and dads. It's one of my favorite things. I baptize my kids. Uh, I baptize my little one Claire here and my other boys in other places. And there's something really, really special about that. Um, We actually have some folks that are wanting to get baptized but couldn't come this morning. So we're going to do baptisms next week also. Uh, And so if you want to get, if you want to be baptized... And if you want to respond to this invitation and you want to say, all right, I, I, like, this is good news. And maybe I've forgotten that God is pursuing me. Maybe I've lost the fact that he, that he loves me. Maybe I've missed some of this. Maybe I've lost the wonder and the joy and I've been so consumed with the bad news that I've forgotten and I just need to come back home and I want to go back to Jesus and I want to repent and believe. We're going to have the prayer team. They're going to come up front here as we take communion, and you can come and pray with them. And uh, you can be baptized today. Uh, I I love Paul in the New Testament just says, there's water. Uh, And so that's my invitation for you today. There's water. Why not obey today? I don't know how you get home in wet clothes, but we'll figure it out, right? Uh, There's water. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. Benton's going to be standing right over here, and if you want to be baptized today, you can go grab him and find him. If you want to be baptized next week, just let somebody on our staff team know, and we'll we'll, we'll celebrate baptism. But um, today, we're going to celebrate. So I want to invite those folks that are getting baptized to go ahead and come. And I want to close this off with just a prayer. Frederick Beekner is one of my favorite writers. I don't know if many of you know of Beekner or know who he is. He's a brilliant theologian. He was a Presbyterian pastor. Um, He passed away in August, um, which I I get sad. All of these legends of our faith are passing away, and I keep praying, like, Lord, would you raise up the next generation of thinkers and leaders and brilliant minds and writers and and all of these folks. But uh, Beekner wrote a bunch on Christmas. His favorite topic, he used to say, was Emmanuel, God with us. And when he was asked, what's the most important thing that any pastor should talk about? What's the most significant piece of good news that we should deliver? Beekner always said, Emmanuel, remind them that God is with them. Remind your people that God is with them. 
Remind him that he's working. Remind him that he's there. Remind him that he sees. Remind him that he knows. Remind him that we're not forgotten. Remind him that it's not distant. He's not in a room somewhere in Jerusalem. He's with you right now. And so Beekner wrote this prayer, and I just want to read this prayer over us today as we close our service. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Most High, the Prince of Peace, would you be born, would you be born again into our world? Wherever there is war, wherever there is pain, wherever there is loneliness, wherever there is no hope, come now, long-expected one, with healing in your wings. Holy child who the shepherds and kings and dumb beasts adored, would you be born again? Wherever there is boredom, wherever there is fear of failure, wherever there is a temptation that is too strong to resist, wherever there is bitterness of heart, would you come now, blessed one, with healing in your wings? Savior, be born again this season in each one of us as we raise our face to your face, not fully knowing who we are or who you are, but knowing only that your love is beyond our knowing and that there is no other power in this world to make us whole. So come, Lord Jesus to each one who longs for you, even though we might have forgotten your name. Come quickly. Amen. Amen. We're going to open up communion stations. It's our opportunity to just simply sit with Jesus and say, thank you, Jesus, that you did come. Thank you that your body was broken for us. Thank you that your blood was shed for us. It is our moment that we do in every service for us just to remember and to say thank you. Thank you that you did favor us. Thank you that you chose us. Thank you that you came to die and thank you that on your cross, you knew me by name. And so the communion stations are open. The prayer team's gonna come. If you wanna be baptized today, let's, let's, let's load up. Let's celebrate together as we close the service in worship.